There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and I'm delighted today uh, to be um, introducing you to uh, Jutta Kleinschmidt. Uh, we're going to talk about winning the Dakar Rally and uh, business success. We're going to talk about motorsport. We're going to talk about business and mobility of the future. Uh, before I introduce um, Yuta, though, just a, a slight apology for starting a little bit late today. We had some technical problems, um, but we're going to make up for it because this is going to be a really, really fascinating interview. Uh, before I introduce you to Yuta, I so enjoyed interviewing Jim Palmer last week um, on creating your dream business. And there was Jim. He was talking live from his floating home off Rhode Island. Um, the fact Jim and his wife had sold their family home after the kids left and followed their dream to live on a yacht was actually hugely inspiring. And Jim really reminded us, apart from many different ideas and thoughts, to ensure that we don't let the what-ifs in life hold us back uh, upon saying yes to the important things in life. And I think my guest today... Uh, Jutta Kleinschmidt just really, really uh, will, uh, you know, can relate to that as a, as a key point. Um, Jutta became the most successful woman in global motorsports. Uh, she's a highly uh, successful person in business. Um, Jutta was the first and so far the only woman who's ever taken outright victory in the longest and toughest rally in the world, the Dakar Rally. I mean, this is a grueling achievement. Um, the distance, I think it ranges from you know, 6,000 kilometers. It has been 10,000 kilometers at time with hundreds of participants. Uh, to achieve this, you have to participated 17 times with no less than six top 10 finishes. Uh, she's also um, participated in a race across America, cycling with her, her partner 3,000 miles in just eight and a half days. I've done a car trip in that across America, doing the same uh, journey, and it was a long, long way. Uh, today, you have to pass on her experience. She's a motivational speaker for, for many well-known companies. Um, she's, an, she's written a book um, around my victory in the Dakar, uh, and she's currently involved in a project um, that she initiated, which is the first female race driver selection camp to encourage more women into motorsport. So we're going to talk about uh, motorsport today. We're also going to talk about a real passion for Yuta, which is the trends in the fast-moving world of mobility. So, you know, is um, is the car one day going to become too dangerous for us to uh, to drive? Are petrol and diesel engines going to come to a demise? So a huge welcome today um, to Yuta Kleinschmidt. Yes, also from my side, a warm welcome. I'm ha very happy to be in, be in your show, Chris. Oh, wonder wonderful to talk to you today. And... You know, what an amazing career you've had. Uh, I've uh, actually been watching some of your videos this morning. I'd recommend to people to, to Google um, your videos and just to see what it is that you, what you do. Now, you live in an incredible place now. You live in Monaco, so that's where you're talking to us from today. And uh, I wonder, you know, how does that compare to your childhood in Germany? Yeah, it's a bit different, but... Uh mostly because uh, of the language and maybe also the people. But what I like on Monaco, it's also very, very uh, beautiful. We have the sea, but we also have the mountains. And I'm grown up in the mountains. So I love mountains and I still have the mountains here in Monaco. 
Uh, well, yeah, and uh, a beautiful place to be, you know, and it seems an exciting place to be as well. Um, but, you know, what, um, what really, you know, where, where were you brought up in Germany? And, and just try, kind of intrigued about this path to motorsport, because it maybe wasn't a, you know, the, the most sort of natural journey in terms of your background and family. Yeah, it definitely wasn't because uh, I'm grown up in Berchtesgaden, which is in the Alps, uh, completely south of Germany. And um, actually through my uh, childhood, we did winter sports, so skiing and all this stuff. And in summer, we would uh, uh, go in the mountains. So nearly nothing to do with motorsport. But... Uh, Already when I was very little, I loved motorcycle. And each time uh, when I saw somebody driving one, and especially if I had the chance uh, to stop him and take a ride with him, I would do so. And uh, later on, yeah, uh, when I was more grown up, yeah, I was dreaming about a motorcycle. So I, as soon as I was 18 and uh, had my driver license, I bought uh, myself a motorcycle. And uh, that was the beginning of my career. But before growing up in Berchtesgaden, it was, yeah, it was a lot of sport. I have to say that a lot of challenge and with skiing also speed and all this stuff, but uh, no motorsport. And did, um, I mean, did your parents welcome you buying a motorcycle? I remember mine telling me, you can't have a motorcycle, you're going to kill yourself on it. Um, not really, because I think that was a bit used to, uh, yeah, um, dangerous stuff I did, because skiing <laughs> was a bit the same, and uh, yeah, all the things I did was maybe not really what a little girl should do. So actually, my mom even helped me to buy my uh, first motorcycle because she rent me some money for it, and uh, that was good because otherwise I couldn't afford it. So. In this case, I was quite lucky that I didn't have parents who would forbid me to ride a motorcycle, <laughs> and that helped a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so you got your motorcycle, you're 18 years of age. Uh, what was the next sort of step for you? Yeah, okay. Normally, um, I did all the things what normal young people do. I study, so, but I studied physics because I love technology. I, and on top of it, I loved all kind of adventure. And then parallel to my study, I start to do um, journeys with my motorcycle. And I love to uh, drive it off-road. So that was much more challenging than on-road. And then I actually heard about this race, which was incredible, tough. And yes, uh, the last thing you have to do on this uh, uh, planet, uh, the last big adventure, and then I thought, wow, what is that? And that was this Dakar rally. And then uh, my first dream actually was to just see this rally uh, live. And yeah, and that's how it started then. And I planned to follow the whole race as a visitor. So my first Dakar, which was not, not in competition, so in total, actually, um, I was involved in 18 Dakars. The first one was just as a visitor, following the race and tried to, to reach the Bibak each evening uh, as a completely private person, which was, I think, one of the biggest challenges I did because um, 
if I uh, get lost there, then nobody would uh, try to find me and things like, like this happen. So I had a really, really interesting uh, yeah, adventures during my first uh, yeah, Dhaka experience. And, and you, you worked for BMW as an engineer, um, but I'm kind, of in, I'm kind of intrigued as well. You, you, um, you know, I always think of racing as being a pretty male-dominated sport, to be honest. And I just wondered, did you have to overcome you know, the, the stereotypes uh, of racing drivers to achieve what you achieved? Yeah, definitely, uh, because it's not usually to, to race as a woman in this kind of uh, yeah, man-dominated uh, uh, world, but I think to be an engineer helped me a lot. And uh, I will tell you why, because uh, especially in a team, it's all about trust. And the problem you have as a woman driving in a team with only men mainly, and especially your, your team uh, partners are men, uh, means um, maybe the team believe that, uh, that, uh, uh, that you are not as fast as uh, the men uh, in the same team. So they would maybe support uh, your teammates more than you because they think they give all the last or the best parts to the person who is able to win and they wouldn't really believe in you in the beginning. And that is the fight you have to fight for. And then also in the team, for sure, you have some male drivers who don't want to lose against you because it's, it's still a, a, a big shame for them to lose maybe against a woman because a woman is not really fast. And that is things you have to overcome. And I, I tell you, a big, big help was uh, that I worked for BMW as an engineer, that I understood the driving physique, that I understood the car, that I can talk on a completely different level with uh, all my mechanics and engineers. And that actually uh, helped me to get uh, yeah, this belief in, in my person, in my skills. Mm, yeah, I can imagine that. Um, that really did. I've, I've, a very completely different level. I remember I used to work for a motor company, and I remember the the person who ran the um, parts for the the company uh, was a female, and she used to go and take her you know car to be serviced, and and they she'd often be told there was a fault and a problem. She'd say, "Get it up on the ramp," and uh, she'd get it on get it up the ramp, and they'd half the time they'd made up the problems, and uh, were left very embarrassed. Um, but I can imagine that, really, that insight you had, you know, really, really <laughs> helpful. And we're going to go to commercial break now. And after the break, you know, we've got to talk about the Dakar rally and you know, some of the lessons and experiences that you've, you've had. And again, I just urge anybody, maybe in the break, just Google um, it, and, uh, for the for videos of, uh, of Yutza just going at high speed through sand dunes and things like that, because it's absolutely awesome footage. So really looking forward to chatting again with Yuta um, after the break. So do um, continue to join us in just a couple of minutes. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? 
Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper i'm with yuta kleinschmidt we're talking about um the you know the, the sort of background and uh, experiences of, of Yuta and I think you know something for me that really stood out is um, how you know Yuta uh, overcame this sort of male stereotype and had this vision and this dream of uh, around racing and the Dakar Dakar Rally. Um, I think we need to talk about Dakar now and you know you have achieved so much and you mentioned that you'd um, not only participated now seventeen times but you also um, visited it so so eighteen times. You know, tell us a bit about the rally and you know what you learned while preparing mentally and physically for it. Yeah, first we have to say the Dhaka changed uh, from uh, the African uh, continent to South America several years ago. So before it was in Africa. And uh, I did all my participation in Africa. And uh, usually it would start somewhere in Europe, in the beginning, even uh, at Paris, because that's the original name, Paris, Dakar. And then later they start, yeah, some other places in Europe. I think it was just a commercial thing that the town who pay the most got the start. And then we would uh, have some little stages in Europe. And then the real race would, would start in, uh, in Africa. And it usually it was around 10,000 kilometers long, about three weeks. And you would have around 1,000 competitors. So a huge race, yeah. Ooh. And it's, it's cars, it's bikes, it's trucks. And uh, there's already, uh, only to give you an idea, that's already around 600 journalists following uh, the race uh, live. So they are 
at the race, which is wow. huge. And they, are, they have two planes only to cut movies and send it uh, all over the world. And then each day you would try to reach a, a bivouac. The organization builds up a bivouac where you get food. And from there on, there you stay overnight and you try to repair your car or bike. And then from there on, you would start out uh, maybe for a little uh, liaison, we call it, which is not on time until the real state stage of the day starts. And this stage can, on time, can be up to 800 kilometers, which is long. Can be, can mm. be, it can take sometimes 24 hours for people. They, they uh, take the whole uh, night on top of the day. So it's, it's really tough. And about 30% of the competitors only would reach the finish line because of technical problems, of accidents, of yeah, and just being too exhausted. Most of them just give up. And that's why the race is so tough. You, every year it's a different uh, uh, track. So you don't know what kind of route you have to uh, race the next day. They would give you a kind of roadbook, we call it, in the evening. You can prepare, prepare it overnight, and then the next day you don't know uh, where you are going. It's completely uh, the first time uh, when you drive the truck. So it's a lot of skills you need. You know, you have to yeah, evaluate uh, the track and if it, yeah, how fast you can go because you have only one chance. And that makes it so interesting. And you pass dunes and sometimes you are in the mountains. You have little tiny uh, pistes through trees and uh, so it, it's a lot of different terra even if you in the, see in the tv very often only the dunes and the sand mm. uh, because it's the most spectacular part where everybody gets stuck and uh, try to dig cars and bikes out of the sand so it's maybe very, very interesting for the tv but it, it's a lot of different stuff and it's a huge adventure because you really don't know what's coming up uh, when you start in the morning morning Wow, and and do you? I mean, do you have to, you know, carry equipment to get yourselves out of the dunes, or can can you, can you mm -hmm. have some backup in some way? How does how does that work? Yeah, you, you have to carry when you have to carry everything by yourself um, because nobody except other race drivers are allowed to help you. So if you have a problem, you dig yourself out of the sand and you change tires because you will have you will have punctures. This is normal. We train that. We change a huge tire which weighs around 35 kilos, so they are heavy, uh, in under three minutes. So you train for that. Or you would change a drive shaft in under 10 minutes. Uh, all uh, you train at home to, 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 to be quick in this stuff. And But if you have something like broken gearbox or broken engine and you cannot help yourself then uh, you would wait for your race truck which is normally a service truck in the race who has spare parts uh, but if you do that normally uh, you have no chance anymore to to win the race then you from there on normally you are um, a fast assistance for your teammates so if you have no chance to win by yourself anymore, you would start to help your teammates, which is fair enough. And uh, yeah, but so if you want to win, you should prepare and uh, repair everything by yourself. <laughs> yeah, so you, so you need um, your engineering skills really help in that situation. But how, how do you cope 
physically with the, you know the fatigue and it must be exhausting um, driving all that way over that sort of terrain yeah you must be fit and especially uh, the, the biggest problem actually is the concentration because sometimes uh, you drive for uh, for eight ten hours fast as fast as you can because these cars are so good you don't take car, uh, care about the car you, you you drive as fast as you can you only try to don't roll the car or uh, uh, fly out of a corner or something like that so we, but the rest um, it's really a, a race uh, yeah on the second for example I won the Dakar rally after 10,000 kilometers with only two minutes and 50 seconds ahead the second one so that shows you how tight it can be. So you really fight for every second, even if it's a long race. And that makes it so tough. So the concentration is, is difficult to keep up. And because if you start to lose the concentration, maybe you know that from driving on the autobahn, suddenly uh, uh, you just go a speed very yeah, uh, slow because you're just dreaming of home or something else that can happen to you in a race car too and that makes you very slow so to keep this concentration it's it's very important that you are men uh, that you're mentally and physically fit and we train that specially we have even doctors and trainers who help us and uh, we have a special training program program for that i think um, you know that what um that sort of saying to me is if we relate that parallel to kind of business is you know we do need to maintain our focus when we're when we're working so that, that absolutely fitness is important i think you know um, yeah i think even if you have to in business a very important meeting coming up which maybe uh, takes two three hours sometimes this happen it's the same situation you know you should keep concentration and also for this you have to be fit so i think we have similarities there and, and, and what sort of what sort of challenges on that um, that time that you won, and what sort of challenges did you face along the journey? I think it's uh, yeah, it's first of all okay, it's a race because in the beginning you start and you you go day by day because the race is so long you don't uh, think about the finish line in the beginning you just want to do the next step the next day and uh, you prepare the next day in the evening and you try to do the day the best and uh, day by day so focus on the on on what is coming up and then for sure there's a lot of things there's dunes you get stuck uh, you have to dig yourself out maybe a technical problem another big problem can be getting lost because you have a, a, a co-pilot which indicates the way to you but you can do also mistakes which is quite normal so you get lost you have to find a way back very quick and for this you work out even in the evening uh, maps to have help in the car when you get lost and so it's a huge work and you have never time so it's it's always something going on and then for sure especially when I won the last day was very very difficult for me because I was only leading with two minutes and uh, uh, some seconds, and uh, I was still one stage to do, and I couldn't sleep the whole night because I was so nervous um, by spoiling that 
next day making a mistake, getting stopped or mm-hmm. getting a puncture. So I was thinking the whole night about that and I couldn't sleep. And I thought, okay, if you, if you really spoil that, you will be angry with yourself your whole life because it's the biggest chance, you know, to win this huge race. So it was hard. And then uh, I was very, very nervous. And that was a big fight for me because then you handle this, that you didn't sleep well and then you have to go on the start being very nervous. And But the good thing is as soon as uh, the start was uh, taken, it was over. You know, I could really concentrate again on my race and finally I made it without a mistake. And then passing this <laughs> finish line, it, it's, it's such a big release. You, you cannot imagine, you know, yeah, because I knew I was fast and I, I, I knew that uh, should be fine. But it's uh, a big, big pressure on you because it's a whole team behind you. It's the whole year work for it, even more, many years, because to win it is a huge thing. And uh, yeah, to and have this press pressure released and really feel, wow, you did it. it it's a huge thing. And you don't understand that immediately. Um, I think it needs some weeks until you really understand what happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and suddenly, I, I guess you, you've had this, you kind of, Part of this, part of this team, but you're, you're, you're kind of the, you know, the the head of this team in terms of being the um, the driver with all the support that you've got. But then suddenly you've got, I guess, you've got the world's media and I think you've got 600 journalists there wanting, you know, wanting huge difference. Yes. How, how, how was that stepping into that reality? What was that like? Yeah, it, it is huge because uh, it's it's such a huge difference be, be, between the winner or the second. Uh, uh, and then suddenly the whole world know you and uh, you get offer from all over the world to to come to TV shows. And uh, yeah, I, I think the next two months I was only flying around uh, all over the planet and had uh, yeah autograph hours, TV shows, which was nice. I, I loved it because this is a, it's, it's part of your success. And, but also, for example, the next year, the, the, the year after, I finished second, which is normally not too bad, second mm-hmm. overall. Mm. And um, I came home and the press was writing, oh, unfortunately, Utah <laughs> lost this year. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, that actually shows you how, it, how important is this little difference between first and second uh, in motorsport. And... Uh, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> and how much, that, how much that little difference is down to, you know, skill and mental, sort of the mental side, and versus maybe bad luck when something goes wrong or something yeah. right. Definitely, all belongs to 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 your success. But I always say, okay, you need luck. You need very very good preparation. That is a that is the most important thing. Prepare yourself as best as you can in all. Uh, kind of things you know that was something I always did I tried to be uh, really good and well trained I tried to know my car very well I tried to uh, when it goes down to testing I was always the first one in the car and tried to test everything and tried to even if there's changes I tried to adapt the changes to my driving style and all these things are, are really really important so you have to work in really each little detail to to be on top at the end of the of the race and and i always say if you sometimes you have still no luck 
that, that happens. But if then you have to try it just again. You will not have all the time no luck. The luck is also sometimes there and sometimes not. But if you try to work hard on yourself and if you be and you try to be prepared very, very well and you did everything you can, you will succeed in the end of the day. And how That's many times did, how many times did you participate before you you won? Um, I did four Dakar on motorcycle. And then, for sure, uh, it took some years to, to achieve a good team, you know. So, there's not a good uh, professional team coming to you and say, look, here, take our best car and drive it. So, first, you have, uh, first I did it with a, with a car who was a kind of standard car. And I already finished 10 uh, overall with this car, which was a huge achievement. And then I went to a team was uh, already a prototype but maybe not a winning car to learn and and uh, do more success and then after I was actually able I think it was my maybe sixth or seventh star car uh, to drive in a, in a good car where I was also able to win but still I was not a factory driver when I won it because that year I actually uh, had my private sponsors and we bought ourselves into a factory team. So it's it's really hard to way up there until you are in a professional team. And after I won, then actually the the professional team teams came and won me as a driver. But that wasn't yes. the case before. Yes, it's a, yeah, it's a little bit um, like trying to get an equity card to to act. Um, before you've acted, it's uh, you've got a, a balance of um, achieving that level of uh, success and awareness before people will really invest in you. Um, Absolutely. We've got, we've got about a minute left to a commercial break, so it's a very question. Is, is there a sort of a you know a key lesson you know for business people that you've really taken from you know your I see a lot about preparation and mental toughness, but is yeah. this really? I think that that's very important what I already said, uh, prepare very well and um, try to be better than your concurrent. And I think that is in any business the same. Look what your concurrent is doing well and try to do that better than they do. And then you can be ahead of them. Yeah, so you're always, um, you're always keeping an eye on a lot of things to think about, isn't there? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of, lot of uh, I guess, months and years of preparation and Building the skills and step by step improvements and um, dealing with having to deal with with perceived failure and yeah real real kind of focused uh, lessons in life um, through that journey. Well, we're going to go to commercial break now, and after the break, um, I, I want to talk with Met sorry with Yuta uh, about um, uh, about uh, the mobility of the future because I know this sort of subject that's very close to your your heart. So we'll be back with you yeah. again. In just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, 
facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with Jutta Kleinschmidt. Uh, loving talking uh, to Jutta and uh, learning a, about her life and you know, the way she um, had this vision and, and, and really made things happen really for herself. Um, but also this amazing Dakar rally, which just seems to be a, an incredibly concentrated metaphor for, for life, but, uh, but speeded up in, in some ways. Um, Really, very fascinating to talk about that. But let's talk now about mobility of the future. It's just, it's just such a topical issue right now. I mean, we've um, had you know, recently in France there were announcements that they'd be banning petrol and fuel vehicles by 2040, and some of the motor manufacturers like Volvo and Volkswagen have been announcing uh, very recently their ambitions around electric cars, and you know, all seems environmentally very good. Uh, very good thing. I'm sure whenever you're listening to this, because um, people listen to these now for you know for years into the future, there'll be things that have happened um, around this particular issue, which just seems to be speeding up all the time. So, just really interested, uh, Yuta. You know, what's your perspective as a racing expert and a racing driver on on things like fuels of the future, for example? Yeah, as a racing driver, anyway, you'll always be awake for changes because, uh, you know, they always ask me what was the best car you ever drove because you drove so many. And I always can say it was always the last car because we develop and develop and the technology never stops. And I think in the moment, the automotive industry is in front of a huge change. Because um, we all know that uh, more and more electric cars are coming and also we are talking about autonomic driving and so it's a very, very interesting topic also for me. Even if I love driving cars um, and I love also petrol cars because uh, I'm grown up with it, um, I still think that, uh, yeah, we, we, we... Electric cars have a great future. And I actually uh, think that because, yeah, because of uh, many things. First of all is our environment, because if you see big towns like yeah, Shanghai, for example, and Hong Kong, all the time when I travel there, I, I, I hardly can see the sky because all of the uh, pollution going into the into the. Uh, yeah environment and 
if you would have electric car in the town, you wouldn't have this pollution. And also in the future, if we are able to produce more renewable energy, I think that would be good for our environment. So it's maybe um, one uh, positive point for electric cars. But there's other points, in my opinion. For example, um, if you see how many parts you need to build an electric car compared to a petrol car, it's a huge difference. Uh, already an engine, so if you take an electric engine, even if you take a complicated, really complicated electric engine, maybe you need 250 parts compared to a petrol engine, which is about 2,500 parts. Wow. So it's a huge difference. And that costs money. And uh, yes, uh, because you need more, more parts, then you will have more space because you don't need a petrol tank, you don't need a gearbox, so you will have much more space in the car for Yes, for entertainment, the people, and yeah, and then it's easier maybe also when we come to autonomous driving, just control them because it's easier to control an electric-driven uh, engine than maybe a, a petrol-driven engine and cheaper. And uh, so why we do not have more electric cars for the moment? That is then the question. Uh, I think the, 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 the only big problem, we all know what it is, 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 uh, is the battery because that makes the electric car expensive and we do maybe ha have not the, the, the distance we want to drive because yeah. of uh, the capacity of the battery. And that comes down to one point, this is energy density of a battery, which is very little compared to the energy density of petrol. So we have to increase that, but they are working hard on this and it comes down to the price of the battery per kilowatt hour. And we are improving there quite a lot in the moment. So as soon as this problem is yeah, solved and soon we are on the level of uh, price level of a normal petrol car, then I think the more people will buy also electric cars. So I, I really think they have a great future in front of us. So when, when, do you think that when do you think the right time will be in the future to invest in an electric vehicle? I think that depends really of your personal um, yeah, um, behave, how you drive and how far you drive. And definitely if I buy a new car, I would go for an electric car now because it is... Uh, over the time cheaper because uh, okay if we have the price of the electricity now uh, you can make a calculation for that how much cost you this car if you drive so and so many kilometers every day over so and so many years then in the end of the day electric car will be cheaper and it also will be better for the environment in my opinion and um, I like new technologies, so there's yes. three reasons why I would go for it. Uh, but I think it's really a personal thing. And some people say, look, I don't need an electric car because I don't drive so much, or I don't need one because I drive every day more than 400 kilometers and then I have to charge it. So it, it's really a bit personal in the moment. But um, I do believe that in about maybe three, four, five years, you will see much more electric cars on the road than we do now. 
Mm. It's been you know fascinating with sort of Elon Musk and Tesla, and you know they're very, very, very attractive looking cars as well, aren't they? That are being yes rated, you know. And I, I actually recently tested the Tesla Model X together with another Formula One driver, Heinz Harald Frenzen. He's an ex-Formula One driver. Mm. And, and we both had a lot of fun with it, you know. If you have 700 horsepower pushing uh, in front, uh, you cannot tell me that that is no fun, you know. <laughs> it is fun. <laughs> it's fast. For sure, it's also, if you go fast, the battery is fast empty. <laughs> yes. But, uh, <laughs> yes. But still, we enjoyed it a lot. I have to say that. But okay, if you want to go a bit more uh, further, then you can maybe not accelerate uh, all the time uh, full, that's clear, because he has a lot of power. But I mean, uh, you also wouldn't do that with a normal car in usual, <laughs> because then the police maybe don't like you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many years it'll be until an electric car can successfully compete in the Dakar rally because um, things like charging. Very interesting. Yes, that is absolutely uh, uh, the charging problem in the moment because still I s they have to go at least 600 kilometer without uh, charging. But if you would change the regulation a bit, like you do for a motorcycle, for example, the motorcycles are allowed to um, fill up petrol every 300 kilometer because they cannot carry such a big uh, fuel tank like a oh, car. Yes. Yes. And they, they could do something for electric cars and say, look, because if you have a supercharger, and now being in South America, this is quite easy to organize. That would be much harder to organize in the desert in the past. But I mean, in South America, it's, 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 uh, the structure is... Uh, it's good enough to have superchargers and then you would have 80% charged in 20 minutes. And the bikes also stop about 15 to, to, to half an hour when they when they are allowed to refill. So you would stop their stage, they have half an hour window to to recharge the battery or this bike, the, they, they, they fill up their tank and then you restart the race. So you could do already something in this direction and I would love to see that to be honest. Yeah, it must be um, must be sort of time with all of your experience to be able to, you know, really support the Dakar Rally with its developments. Um, yeah, and I really think that the motorsport has to improve in this direction because the motorsport, when I did it actively, always um, had uh, it was always a development field for the industry. So new stuff we was testing in motorsport because if something happened to us, doesn't matter, you know, because we are anyway not really uh, taking care so much if something breaks. That, that, that's part of the game. So it was always a test field for the industry. And in the moment, it, it, it's hard. And, and uh, I'm a bit afraid that the motorsport, especially the Dakar Rally, uh, comes back to gentleman driver style, like, uh, like it was maybe in the beginning of motorsport, because uh, you will not find sponsors and supporters anymore. Mm. What about noise? Um, because, you know, electric cars are very very quiet you know uh, what's your views on things like you know <laughs> potential danger to pedestrians versus actually there's a nice benefit in that the world's a bit quieter but yeah i, I actually think uh yeah it, it, it's a problem and it's and it's good you have both mm -hmm. sides uh good is if you live in a town 
and uh, your window is uh, in the direction of a very busy road, I think you're very happy if everybody drives electric because you will not uh, be destroyed by the, the engine noise anymore. So that is a really good part on it. Okay, there is maybe a problem but with, uh, with don't hearing cars, but you know, then you put some bells on it and horns and I think that it's, it's, it's also a kind of getting used to it. And uh, as a race car driver, because people always say in motorsport, oh, we don't have the noise anymore. And you can see that now in Formula Electric, you know, the Formula One for electric cars. Um, um, that the people say, oh, it's a bit boring because we don't hear anything or not much, maybe some tires. Um, that's, that's for sure the case. But also you have to get used to because I think also in other kind of sport, maybe like football, you don't have engine noise. You still have a competition. Um, for a driver point, I can only tell you for me inside the car, it, it makes no difference. Because in my race car, anyway, we have headsets on because we have to talk to each other and we, we, need a bit, we need it a bit quieter because otherwise we will not understand each other. And uh, I still have the feeling of an engine because I can hear some noise, I like zzz, little singing and I can feel, I can hear the tires and I can also uh, feel the car. So driving an electric car on a racetrack for me is very similar to driving a petrol car on a racetrack and I did both and both is a lot of fun mm. well we're getting near to the end of the interview I'm sad to say because I'm absolutely loving talking to you um, I wonder if you've got any you know any sort of final messages that you'd like to to leave us with yes um, I think we should not be afraid to think or dream big, you know. Mm. Take your visions, take your dreams to define your personal goal. Because for me, um, if I do something with passion, like I did all uh, through my career, with my motorsport career, then you have no problem with any motivation. You will get up in the morning and you will love what you do. And today, I think, especially young people are maybe too much driven by, yeah, um, recommendation from anybody doesn't matter who is it and mm -hmm. maybe they they don't do what they really would love to do and I only can say all the young people out there yeah sit back think about what you really would love to do and then go, go for that and then you will be good in this because passion is motivation and uh, it will drives you yeah so I mean potentially Probably only got one life, so we might as well make the best of it, didn't yes, we? Yes, absolutely, yes. And for me, I'm the best example for it because uh, in my family, nobody did motorsport. And when I start racing, my mother even told me, oh, you, you don't think you are too old for that? <laughs> that was the start <laughs> of my career. And other people, because I actually gave up my, my job as an engineer um, to do motorsport, yeah, and all friends around would uh, uh, tell me, look, this is so stupid what you're doing. Yeah, You have a very uh, well-paid job and you have a very good um, um, ex yeah, uh, future views for your, for your career and things like that. And, but my passion was somewhere else. You know, I was dreaming for motorsport. I wanted to go out there. I wanted to race and uh, see the world. And at the end of the day, I did. And it showed me it was right. <laughs> 
my success showed me that it was right to do so. Absolutely, a wonderful testament of that. It's been it's been a privilege. It's been exciting talking to you about about motorsports and cars. So a huge thank you for you know taking the time to join us today and you know sharing your wisdom. Um, I'm hugely inspired by your achievements, and I hope that people listening to, oh, I'm sure they will be as well. So thank you so much, Yuta. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure for me. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. And I can just mention next week's show, we have Maureen Metcalf. Um, Maureen's an expert in leadership. She works with some amazing companies, um, particularly in America. We're going to talk about innovative uh, leaders um, driving um, driving kind of change and things to organizations, but um, really you know, the need for people to um, be able to adapt a leadership style to this incredibly fast-moving modern world that we live in. Once again, a huge thank you to Jutta Kleinschmidt. Any comments or feedback, feel free to send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Jutta, very quickly, a website to link to check you out. What's your website? It's Mike, my name, jutta-kleinschmidt.com. So it would be really nice uh, to see you on my website. <laughs> Lovely. So you do, do that. Um, so once again, um, thank you, Jutta. And I wish everybody who's listening a tremendous um, week ahead. And I hope you've enjoyed today's show. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.